Okay, in terms of like this episode, I want it to be super structured, super informative, but because I've got pots, this isn't going to be structured or informative. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the White Pew Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Del Puente. My name is Serena Mohammed. And we run a website together called The White Pew, where we publish writing about art and games and books and just Everything. whatever we want to write about. Um, but we're not going to be discussing any reviews or anything like that on today's episode because we're going to be talking about my body. <laughs> Um, if you have been following us for the past year, or maybe this is news to you, um, I got COVID in January of 2021 and it was dog shit. <laughs> and then things just got worse. So my 2021, looking back now, was a messy, messy blur of long COVID, which is just a general term for people who get this virus and then get fucked up by it. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I could tell you the symptoms. I knew I had fatigue. I knew I had a lot of muscle pain. I knew I had heart palpitations and brain fog and probably a million other things that I can't remember at this point because I still have long COVID. Um, and as that year unfolded, we were releasing podcast episodes that kind of detailed the weirdness of it and like the panic and the sadness of like becoming disabled. And we released a one year update of in January of 2022. And then one week later, my diagnosis changed and we have yet to release an update. So this is it. My long COVID was revealed to be POTS. And I'm not gonna say what POTS is straight away and reveal everything. I'm gonna say that people should know what POTS is because it turns out a lot of people's long COVID is POTS. And for me, it took one whole year of diagnosis because my doctors didn't know what it is. I've heard from many other people who have gone through the exact same timeline, one year, a year and a half, of having all these horrible symptoms that are left completely unmedicated because either doctors don't know what it is or also just the general population. Even though 0.2% of people have POTS, that's a crazy number, but it also is just on the cusp of, us, of being like not popular enough to be in like the general vernacular. Um, if, yeah, if, if the paramedics that took me to hospital had known what to look for, I could have been diagnosed like, yeah, straight away. Um, if the doctors had known what was going on, they could have diagnosed me and put me on medication. And I wouldn't have lost months and months and months in the house, fucked up and in a very dark place. Um, so yeah, today's episode is about pots. What What is pots? I keep thinking, you know what, I've had pots now for so long and no one's bought me a pot. Like, <laughs> I should just get like a consolation pot. Do you want like... 
Are you telling me that for Christmas you would like a pot pot? I would like a pot pot, yeah. I want you to I'm gonna make you a yeah, pot. Yeah, I want you to make one make me one. Fabulous. That would be really nice. I'm gonna write that down. Hold on. Write that down. That's um, present <laughs> so that's today's episode. Um and also just like a catch up because I'm probably sounding much more coherent than I was if you listened to the one year update. And this is why. I got a phone call from the long COVID clinic at the end of 2021. And it was just saying, you know, we want you to come in for an in-person appointment. And I had only had one phone appointment and it was disastrous. These people, this horrible man on the phone told me that long COVID was a very British thing, insinuating that just because we have like a healthcare system uh, (laughs) and social welfare, that people were like going on the sick in order to get benefits. That phone call was horrible. And when I said to him, you know, can you do anything about the muscle pain I'm feeling? He said, well, we can't really treat pain. Everyone's pain is different. I was like, how the fuck are you a doctor? He should be fired. So I got this phone call from the long COVID clinic and I was so confused because I was like, I don't want to speak to these people ever again. Um, But it was somebody else. And they were saying, okay, well, we want you to come in for an in-person appointment. And at that point, I was so, like, hopeless that I thought, okay, this is one more thing that I do. I'll go along to it, whatever. It wasn't in the same address that I'd seen them uh, situated at before. And it was a doctor who I didn't know. And he said, hello, I'm the new long COVID clinic doctor in Liverpool. I've taken over from the last one because the last one got so many complaints. I was like, I was one of those complaints. (laughs) This is great. I love it when criticism works. Um, And he asked me to like tell him my symptoms from start to finish. Felt really attentive. And then he just looked at me and he said, right, there are different things that long COVID can be. And he, he said, according to the research that him and his team had been doing it sort of falls into a few different categories for some people it really affects their respiratory system for others it's really a case of energy so people with chronic fatigue he said for others they seem to be falling in a dysautonomic category and then he looked at me and he said that's what you're in so dysautonomia refers to the autonomic nervous system so all the stuff that your body just should just get on with all the little jobs heat regulation digestion you know heart rate all the good stuff that we just do without thinking dysautonomia is when that goes wrong he said your symptoms point to dysautonomia and in particular they point to a condition called POTS and the name rung a bell because I'd seen like a few tweets about long COVID and POTS and I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to like look back at this because again, it just feels painful and like cruel. But I remember going to my GP and every single time I'd go with this big long list, like, please help me. And I remember saying, you know, one of the things that I've heard about is this thing called POTS and like, maybe that's what I've got. And can you, can you do a test? And she just looked at me and she said, no, 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 we can't do a test for that. Um, It would take you months and months to get tested for POTS. 
and I thought oh okay it would take me months and months to get tested for pot so you know she's the doctor and now that she said that that's the law because you, you I was just so I don't know I was just so vulnerable and like out of it and not able to advocate for myself because I had no energy or brain power or confidence or I don't know you when you're sick with something and you don't know the name of it it's hard to be like it's hard to insist I think because you're just sad so when the long COVID clinic guy was like you've got sounds like you've got pots I thought my first thought was okay well I'm sure this is going to take another six months to get to the bottom of and it took 10 minutes so this guy, <laughs> I wish I knew his name, um, handsome guy, handsome doctor, walked out to the appointments just in love. He got me to lie down on a table and he took my heart rate and he took my blood pressure. And then he got me after it was completely, you know, I was completely in a restful state for like five minutes. He got me to stand up and he, he actually just said lean against the wall. And I still had all the bits on me so that he could measure my body and what was going on. And I didn't know what he was looking for. But he said, after a few, you know, about two, three minutes, he was like, how are you feeling? And I was starting to get really dizzy. And I, but I felt like I needed to stay standing up. I was like, okay, he's, he's doing this test. I need to stay standing up. I was just getting so dizzy. He was like, okay, you've got POTS. And I know I've said pots a million times and I've still not described what it is, but I will now. He sat me down. He, like, let me catch my breath a little bit. And considering I was just, like, out of breath and dizzy from standing up, that's how bad of a state I was in last year. I, For anyone, again, who didn't listen to any of the earlier episodes where we go through the shit, shitty, shitty year I had, like, I, I ended up for about six months not being able to leave the house because I was so tired. So that's, that was the state I was in. Um, he sat me down. He said, okay, POTS is a condition that stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Postural refers to your posture. Orthostatic means in an upright position. Tachycardia is when your heart rate goes too fast. And a syndrome is something that you know, I don't really know what a syndrome is. We know what syndromes are. <laughs> and he said to me that that's caused by a dysautonomic condition. It is a dysautonomic condition. And it is most notable for an increase in heart rate by 30 beats per minute as a minimum on standing up. Um, So because I was completely unmedicated last year, every time I tried to move my heart rate was spiking like yeah and and because it was spiking so much I was having all of this like endless fatigue because my body was like overexerting itself by doing like the littlest amounts of activity and all I knew was that I was tired and I was in pain and I didn't know the cause I couldn't figure out I can't look inside my body I don't know these things so it drove me mental um and it was kind of interesting because he then went on to say that, you know, it's not just your heart rate that's affected by this. He said, how have you been dealing with with temperature? And I said, well, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as the summer picked up last year, that's when I became housebound. 
that's when I was basically bedridden. I just watched, all I remember last summer is I lay in bed, I watched the entirety of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills from start to finish, and I also watched every single Olympic event because I was in bed, <laughs> nothing else to do. Great TV choices, but also <laughs> bullshit, prison, life. Uh, he said that dysautonomia affects how your body regulates temperature. It, it can't regulate temperature. And also if you think that every time I move, my heart rate spikes by a minimum of 30 beats, that is raising my temperature as well. So it's just a mess. He asked if I'd, you know, he because he'd gone down the list of symptoms after asking me, he then pointed out when I'd mentioned muscle pain and I'd said, you know, it's all in my legs. And he explained that with POTS, uh, vic- victims, oh my god, <laughs> patients. I know you mean, yeah. <laughs> patients have a lower blood volume than regular people. And because of issues with the heart, if you're in one place, for example, if you're sat down in a chair like I am right now, the blood will sink to my legs. And especially if I'm stood up, it will sink to my legs quite quickly and that will make me dizzy. And that's why the heart overexerts itself to try and pump the blood around um, more efficiently. Uh, But he said because the blood sinks into the legs that it makes a buildup of adrenaline happen and then that's the pain that is is like spiking my legs. So adrenaline sounds like a great thing. I've been an adrenaline junkie for my whole life big on roller coasters, obsessed. This was not a good type of adrenaline. This was like genuinely painful. And actually like a lot of the conversations I'd have with doctors over the past 12 months before this this long COVID clinic appointment um, were about pain management. They were giving me like all these different types of painkillers and nothing was working. I was like on the highest levels of codeine and I was like, my legs are in agony. And now I know it wasn't something that pain relief could have done anything for because it was about circulation. And I was in like a terrible, horrible cycle that I didn't know anything about, whereby I couldn't move much. So the blood was pooling in my legs. And if I, if only I'd have known to move more, I could have got the blood moving, but I couldn't move more because I was so fatigued. And every time I did try to do something, the fatigue got worse. So it was like hmm. black hole. It's just like a vicious cycle, right? Like a vicious cycle? Vicious circle. Like each symptom kind of aggravates each other. Mm-hmm. Aggravates. That doesn't make grammatical sense. The symptoms kind of compound each other, right? 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, we'd sorted the diagnosis so fast. The GP's fucking six months. I'm not going to give you a diagnosis bullshit. It was just like a lie because this guy just took my heart rate my heart rate also at that point was 92 at rest and when I stood up it went to 130 something 137 like that was just a casual me going like sit stand like it's so bad that you just stand up I've and just have done like 30 stu- minutes of cardio exactly like... exactly oh so I said okay what are we gonna do like I was like can this be cured <laughs> like I need help it can't be cured unfortunately 
that would have been a great podcast update. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fixed. I'm fixed. <laughs> no, he was like, no, I can't, I can't be cured. Um, it, it is early days. People have gotten pots off the back of flus and other viruses and also pregnancy um, forever. So yeah, I was asking like, okay, what, what do we do? What's the management? And he said, because your heart rate is, is one of the biggest issues, we put people with POTS on beta blockers. And beta blockers are essentially just like a pill you take once or twice a day that slow your heart rate down. Um, people actually take them for anxiety and migraines and plenty of other conditions. I didn't know that. What I've, what I've learned is that there are no specific medicines for POTS. There are medicines for like plenty of other uh, diseases and doctors just have to like pull from other other treatments in order to to kind of mitigate the symptoms, which apparently causes quite a lot of issues because GPs feel like they don't want to go rogue. They don't want to take a heart an, an intensive heart medication for a dysautonomic condition, um, and they can be quite reluctant about about prescribing people things like that. But this guy was like, yeah, you should you need to go on beta blockers right away. Um, in order to slow the heart rate down. He also said, you need to eat more salt. And I was like, great. (laughs) Uh, Eat more salt and drink a ton of water. And the explanation, if you're following along with the science, is that because I do have a lower blood volume, now I need to top up those fluids. So I need to I, I drink like six, seven litres of water a day now. And because I'm topping up the liquids, I also need to top up the salt um, in order to like not get as dizzy and nauseous as I would otherwise. And part of that like change in dietary requirements uh, also means that I can't have like full meals. I just, you know like a normal person would usually have like breakfast lunch and dinner and maybe like one or two snacks in between there um now I need to have like only snacks throughout the day like but closer together like just constant little little bits um in order to like keep my energy up and the explanation for that is that when a normal person eats food their body takes like a bit of energy to digest it but because my nervous system is messed up, my body takes like way too much energy to digest. And that can cause like an instant crash, like a, like problems with fatigue. Um, and just like that one conversation, I think maybe we were there for like 45 minutes, made the entire previous 12 months make so much sense. No one told me I needed to drink the most water in the world. No one told me I couldn't have breakfast, lunch and dinner, that I only needed to eat snacks. Um, No one told me I needed to (laughs) slow my heart rate down on purpose, which sounds like such a dramatic, invasive thing to do. Um, No one told me I needed to eat salt. Like, it was just a horrible mystery that, of course, like, I, I, you know, you're not, you can't figure that shit out on your own and it, upsets me that the doctor couldn't figure it out either and I appreciate the doctors are under a lot of stress 
and have more patience per person than ever. But, like, if 0.2% of the population have something, you should maybe know what it is. I should maybe know what it is. I wish I'd have known what it was before this so I could, like, look out for it. I wish, you know, the people around me had known what POTS was so that when I got sick, they could say, oh, maybe that's POTS. Like, man, yeah. yeah. Just knowing what to identify, I guess. Like, I mean, I I think it's crazy that you, you went to your GP and kind of said, it could be this, and they went, no, it's probably not. It's probably it's not. so that. rare. Oh, it takes six months. And it was. It was. It was. And I never followed up with that because I was just gone my, my head was gone and so we we left that appointment it was I think it was the 30th of January this year I was skipping I mean I wasn't on medication yet but I was skipping I was like oh my god I felt like the world had changed I felt like everything had been coloured in or something like I felt also validated which I know people say when they get a diagnosis they feel validated like it is such an emotional thing i i'd had a year of myself doubting that i was as sick as i was because i couldn't like put no one could put the finger on it i was like why am i this tired because it's not even tiredness it's like it's like pain i was like my bones feel like bruised everything feels terrible i can't get out of bed once i'm in bed i can't get up I can't think straight. Like, all of this just mess, mess, like, getting out of touch with reality. I, like, complete... I I can't say that I doubted myself, but I was worried that other people thought that I was, like, putting it on or something. I I was worried that it wasn't... it, It wasn't anything specific and I would never find an answer for it. And for a doctor to just do one simple test to show me the numbers as he's doing it so that I could see what was happening inside my body. A test which also I could have done at home if I knew what it was. It made me feel like I wasn't crazy. And I felt like I like came back into my body. It's so dramatic. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense though. Like, it's like... It- it must have been affirming and like the way that I don't know the way that you'd been feeling all that year it must have felt like affirming that you weren't being dramatic and also it just must have been like a really emotional appointment and I bet you that handsome doctor had so many of those where he was just like what a good day for him as a medical professional you know what I mean like when he dies his obituary is going to mention that i reckon that must be like a life highlight surely but you know no, what I, mean? But I mean like covid has made so many people ill like and so many of those people are still trying to figure out what their version of long covid is he must just do that all day every day crazy he must be like you've got lung damage you have got chronic fatigue you have got pots you have got something wrong with your stomach You've got something wrong with your skin. You have a skin condition. Like, it it splits out in, like, a branching narrative for people and he's just telling them which branch they're on instead of people feeling as lost and, and yeah, directionless as, as I did. It was horrible. So, I had the diagnosis. 
he wrote a letter to my GP saying like she needs to go on beta blockers. I wait a few days because this bureaucracy takes time. I call my GP. I say, have you had a letter from the long COVID clinic? And they said, yes. Um, and I said, okay, well, I need to go on beta blockers. And he said, why? I said, because I've got postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS. And he said, what's that? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> this sounds like the problem with GPs, right? Like It's just so generalised, literal general practice that they, it's just what's the point of you like it's just too general that there's no specific all they're really good for is prescribing antibiotics yeah and the thing is like it like a a switch had flipped in me and now i was like i'm gonna school you i'm gonna fucking school you on what this is and i'm gonna get the medication i need so i get the beta blockers i take a beta blocker and I feel like li- literally the second I take it, I'm like, something's changed. And that evening, I said to Michael, I was like, should we go to the offy? Should, should we go to the offy? This is a huge thing for me to say because I had been to the offy once or twice in the past 12 months, which is at the end of our road. <laughs> and both times I'd been had knocked me out for like two days at a time. It was that difficult to do anything. There was such a cost for every single thing I tried to do, I would have to pay for. Um, and we were walking really slowly. And I just looked at him and I remember saying, I feel like my, I feel like my heart has gone. Like I feel like my heart isn't there anymore because it's so quiet. I hadn't realized how bad my chest had been like I'd, it had gotten genu- genuinely so normal for me to have like a max heart rate at all times that I thought that that was normal <laughs> and as soon as the beta blocker like dropped my heart rate down the heart was gone again and I was like oh oh yeah before I got sick I couldn't feel my heart unless I was doing some exercise like the heart, I generally sat there day to day. I wouldn't think about my heart in my chest. It was incredible. And we walked to the shop and we got like a glass bottle of Coke. And then we walked back home and it was, it felt doable. And I thought, oh my God. I had like a really bad headache while the medication adjusted. Um... But I was just so excited. I couldn't stop telling people. I remember like like telling family and friends like, oh my God, oh my God, I've got a diagnosis. I've got a heart condition. Like it was like the best thing in the world. <laughs> like it's not good news. None of this is good. But it it feels relatively so amazing to have. It's the context. Have it, right? yeah. Like, yeah, I think in the con- I remember you sending me like a PDF leaflet. <laughs> and I remember feeling this like, I, I felt that like, I don't know, I felt like relief, like, oh my God, like it's got a name. It's got like, a name. that's what it is. I felt like it's, it's the relief of being able to identify something. Yeah. Like the unknown is terrifying when you don't know what it is. That's like just, it's just batshit chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Hectic. But like being able to identify something, like drawing a line over it, that feels good. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the context, right? Like, you know what it is. Exactly. It was huge. And just... It was really nice to, like, have a nice thing to tell people. <laughs> like, to have good news to share after being all doom and gloom uh, for 12 months. Um, and and it, it made such a difference then in the, the months following that I knew what I could and couldn't do physically. I knew I couldn't stand up for too long because my body doesn't allow that anymore. I knew that I couldn't eat full meals. I knew that I did get to eat lovely, beautiful snacks all day instead. Um, I knew that I could try compression stockings and compression tights to help circulation. Um, I knew that there was a reason when I forgot things or I couldn't like process things quickly. And I knew that like the fatigue wasn't going to stop. I knew that as you know, there will, there will still be days when I struggle with all of the symptoms that totally dominated 2021 because I have like this thorough chronic illness that affects every part of my body. So like, I can't always win. And I definitely felt that like as the summer approached, like as the weather was getting hotter, like I was starting to get really, um, starting to find it really difficult to think again and having to like avoid the sun. Like I'm, I've always been someone who like lies out in the sun so that all the freckles come out and I get a tan and now I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I don't want the sun. <laughs> I will be pale forever. <laughs> um, Because I just can't, yeah, I just can't, I know that I can't handle it anymore and I've like conceded that. Crazy crazy it is but it's also like crazy but it shouldn't feel crazy because people should know what this is this should be a recognizable thing you're right and how do you what's happened since that diagnosis uh so since that diagnosis yeah as i said kind of knew what to look out for um i started to be able to like just do more things I feel like it took me a while to want to do more things. I think only maybe in the past month have I like sincerely wanted to do more things. It's like, like I like someone had unlocked the prison gates, and I I could see that the door was open, but I I was like just not ready to like run out the doors. I didn't think I could. I I was so scared of upsetting the limits of my body any more than like because for a full year I'd been conditioned to with the you know the reality that every time I did something I would have to pay for it like physically I was like even if I do go outside like something might happen um if I stand up for too long I'm gonna faint if I if I mess up and I don't eat regularly enough I might faint (laughs) like if I mess up my posture and positions I'm gonna have leg pain if it gets too hot like I just I was like I'll just I'll just stay here where I am in the house where it's safe where all the things I need are where I can drink eight liters of water and there's a toilet right next to me (laughs) like (laughs) I was like if I go out in general public 
what if I can't find a toilet? Like, and I've got to drink all this water. It's just, all this is legit, like the the logistics, the logistics Mm -hmm. of having this condition and starting to go outside. Like, I couldn't compute it. Um, And I, like, sort of just didn't want to take the risk. And then we got an email from Johnny Vegas. (laughs) Or his team. And like then shit needed to fucking fast forward because <laughs> this man wanted us to be on a Channel Four documentary about ceramics or something, and I this was like, such a loopy element to the story. Like this such feels a loopy <laughs> element. It was. It, I was like definitely not ready to say yes to this email, um, because this email was like come to London to film something, but at the same time I was so high on the joy of being on beta blockers and i hadn't seen zarina for two years i hadn't left liverpool in however you know since before the pandemic like the whole thing i just thought fuck it fuck it and the only actually i didn't say fuck it i said i really want to do this thing but i can't and i was speaking to like this whatsapp group i'm in of a few people with long covid and they all happened to be based in London. And one of them said to me, you know, you could, you could do it if you wanted. <laughs> and here's how. And as a group, they sort of like painted this plan to me. They were like, you know, if you get the train and you get a taxi to the train station and then I will come and pick you up with my mom in the car and then you can stay in our house, which is right next to Euston. And then you can ask channel four to pay for taxis to get there and then for taxis to get back and then you can just rest for 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 depending on how fucked it makes you feel (laughs) and then you can go home just get an open return and travel when you're ready and suddenly I was like that's when I said fuck it I was like let's do it like the support of of knowing that I would be staying in another household where long covid was known and people were used to talking about bodies and needs and slowness um it felt like it felt comfortable and I felt confident and yeah we did that and that was like a whirlwind week of weirdness and trying to be like a professional and running on adrenaline and then feeling the crash afterwards and trying to manage yeah like snacks and water and salt intake and medication and temperature and not standing up for too long and all that shit like okay it was like my first practice and it it went fairly well uh I came home I felt like very relieved to be home and then I think I started to feel like okay maybe I can leave my cell a bit more I can maybe go to town for an eye test I'll go and get some new glasses. Um, I'll get the bus on my own. I'm very excited. Um, and then more recently, I've been able to like go for dinner with a friend and come home. And it is all feeling like the world is opening up again. And very like it's not it's not like linear. It's kind of hard I feel like I've had to build up muscle strength 
to even be able to do things again and see how long I can walk for. Like, I'm still having crashes, I'm still having confusion and brain fog and all that good stuff, muscle pain every so often. Um, and I think that that London trip was actually like really integral in me learning how to ask for help it's it's weird it's like so I've, I've been to London twice this year so I went for that Johnny Vegas trip and then I came back down to see you because we had some important secret meetings with publishers for a secret book <laughs> that we are definitely not writing um and both times I feel like I'm putting myself into situations where I'm like Gabrielle you need to just speak up (laughs) you need to like channel the confidence that you used to have and you need to just ask for for help like and it not be like no it's not that it's embarrassing it's more like I don't want to inconvenience people that's what I that's my trouble with it um and and also because it's like an illness that's inside of me and affects my heart and my brain and my blood and all that stuff I'm worried that if I ask for help and I look quote-unquote normal that someone isn't going to want to give me the help because they're not going to think that I'm sick or that I need anything so having to overcome that which feels like a a fucking weirdly privileged disability problem to have because some people have visible disabilities and get more stick for that. Um, that's been that's been weird, like weird, but then so good when I do ask for help and I get it and my life is made more comfortable because of it. <laughs> and it's not like I'm getting any bonus treatment from the world. It's like. It's just like making up for all the shit that I'm lo- I've lost or that I have to deal with every day now. Um, like the last time I came to London, it was so rough getting the train there and getting out of Euston and getting to the place I was staying in. It was just like, fuck, that really took it out of me. And I was sort of dreading the journey home because it was during the heat wave and it was just like, oh man, Euston. I, I even looked on Twitter before I went to the station. It was full of people like every inch of the station was like people stood up and I thought I'm gonna have to go and stand up with those people and I'm gonna die (laughs) it's like I'm gonna die in Euston I'm gonna be on BBC News 28 year old woman dies waiting for train in Euston um and that's don't make that's not not funny (laughs) it is a bit for context it was that 40 degree heatwave week wasn't it yeah, it was it was like the death they week. stopped the trains so yeah. bad the trains stopped because the rails were warping on the tracks weren't they so dramatic of them of the <laughs> rails <laughs> um so i i was yeah dreading the journey home and then i just fucking remembered i was like there's a mobility assistance thing in euston station i've walked past it like a million times and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go in. I'm going to ask them. And I went in and I just said, can I get on the buggy to the train? Like, I can't stand up and wait. I was like, even if, even if they just said no, I was like, can I just sit here and wait for the train then? Um, 
I was so nervous about like the competition to get a place on the train because I had an open return and I didn't have a book seat and the guy like obviously he just didn't ask any questions he was like yeah what what train do you want to get on um and then he said to me he was like we get the platform number before everyone else so if you just wait there someone will come and collect you and someone came someone took my bags off me put me on a buggy and then drove me past all this crowd and I was the first person on the train and then I was with like a woman who was blind and I was with someone else and I didn't know what their disability was or mobility needs um and all three of us were just sat there having a chat and I just thought like oh man (laughs) like first of all like happy for me that I did it but also like happy that that service was there and also thinking where else are services like that that I should be asking I, I should be taking up the offer because it was such a relief yeah so weird and and also I notice more now like where the help isn't there like where could be more accessible where is inaccessible I should say like for example you go to the pharmacy to get your beta blockers and there's a massive queue of people and there's two chairs and those chairs are taken by people who I assume also need them. Like, in that situation, is is the, like, is the, like a social thing or a way to say, okay, I can't queue for long. Can I please go to the front of the queue? Or a way to, like, why are there not more chairs? You know, just moments like that, like at the post office. Why is there not, more why are there not more chairs basically i can't queue anymore and it's stressing me out tesco like all of these random little places like i'm trying to re-enter society and i just keep thinking if i get caught in a queue not that i'm gonna die but like it's gonna stress me the fuck out the longer i stand up for the faster my heart rate gets the hotter i get the more breathless i get and then when i get home the more like fucked I'm gonna be because I've like gone through that and that's even with beta blockers um because you know my rest and heart rate before going on medication was 92 and it was going up to like 130 odd my rest and heart rate now is 60 but it still jumps the 30 every time I do stuff so it's not the the medication I'm on reduces the jump in any way it just makes the starting line a lot lower um which doesn't sound ideal I wish that the jump didn't happen but you know like these are the things that I think about now on a daily basis and it like really ties me in knots sometimes yeah I have a question there are many things I think are crazy about this and I don't know, this must, this must, I, there's no, I know that this has, like, spun you, like, mm. so I'm using the word recovery really tentatively, but how do you feel about recovery with, like, four quote marks around it? Yeah, I think, like, like, I took Coco to the vets this week, and there was someone I knew there, and they, like, looked at me and were like, have you still got long covid and I was like, yeah. And I said, it's given me a heart condition. Because I just use heart condition because, like, otherwise I would have to send people this one hour long podcast to explain what the fuck it is. Um, 
and they said you know is that temporary are you gonna have that forever and I was like I don't know (laughs) and they just looked really you know like oh god this person is like (laughs) it's like this person is mocked (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah it feels like a hectic thing to kind of say to people like yeah it does it does it feels really like too like I've gone in at the deep end um but also who cares like (laughs) I know I know I know it's just like not casual for like the vets waiting room do you know what I mean part of me is excited about the the change in what I'm able to do right now compared to last year this time last year I thought like that was it for my life I was like I live in this tight in this house now I'm hidden away from society and I'm just gonna write things and I'm gonna try not to go any more madder than I have done holding on for dear life I never thought that I'd get to go to London I just couldn't see past it because it was and all of this sounds like I'm being melodramatic but I think if you had seen and felt the way I looked and felt <laughs> last year you'd be like okay fair enough maybe she will never go to London again maybe she'll never get to travel um or see friends in a way that doesn't feel like horrifically exhausting um I really feel grateful that I can like enjoy things again and go places I feel like like I know I know what I've got to do now like I know what I've been like tasked with um it's just it's just like I'm not getting my hopes up about a full recovery if that, I, I, and I don't think that's like a, like a bad thing to say. Um, I saw this tweet the other day, someone called Natalia Hodgins, who said, last year when I started identifying openly as disabled, a friend said to me, so what, that's it then, you're just going to stop trying to get better. And let me tell you, I've never felt so much rage towards another person. Um, this person has Emmy. So... The reply says, life with Emmy has taught me about quality of life and I'll never stop trying to improve this. But when I think about all the time, energy and money spent on practitioners and treatment, I want to cry. Seeking a cure at all costs is no way to live. Mm -hmm. Finding balance is not giving up. Disability has only ever delivered positives to me. Community, opportunities, identity and friends. Compared to sickness which strips away so much of who I am. But from my friend's point of view, it was much better for me to be mysteriously sick with potential to recover than to just be disabled. And that feels kind of close to how I feel. I mean, I don't think disability has only delivered positives because like I'm sat here right now and my legs hurt. (laughs) And my back is hurting because two days ago I went to a restaurant and the chairs were wooden and I've just been in pain since then. Yeah. Like, we all hate this bullshit. We, yeah. hate, we hate this. We hate this. Um, but there's, yeah, there's something about that switch. Like, last year, in my, like, mysterious illness phase, people were sending me links all the time. Especially, like, people who follow the white pube sending me links to like oh you should try this diet apparently antihistamines change everything apparently antihistamines fuck you up apparently 
this is the special thing you have to do if you like howl at the moon and <laughs> it like riled me up so much ginger tea it was always ginger as tea it, as if i had any energy to try any of this shit i was like dead and now that i've got a thing all those messages have stopped <laughs> the only messages i get now are from people who also have pots who are like oh my god i've got it as well or i had covid and now i've been diagnosed we have one message from someone who said because of the content that we'd put out where we described what POTS was, they were able to go to their doctor and they have now got a diagnosis because we helped inform them. So God knows what a podcast episode that's like the full explanation is going to do. Um, I, I think, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not banking on getting better, but I'm now feel more motivated to try and like enjoy the new limits which is nice. That's a lovely one. That's nice. I really like that. In... It's shit that there are any limits. I didn't used to have any limits, but now I'm like, okay. And I, I... <laughs> this is so cheesy. You know the like video of Drew Barrymore in the rain? It went viral like a few <laughs> weeks ago. And yes. she was like, just like, ah, like rain pouring all over it. And she's just so happy, like a little kid. The other day I was walking outside and I had like a short sleeve t-shirt on and it started raining and I felt the same way and I know that a lot of people are going to feel this way after like a shitty heat wave death summer but I felt it because like I hadn't felt rain in so long. That's I was like I really forgot I forgot yeah. what weather felt like. I forgot that it sort of like tickles. I was like oh my god the rain's tickling. I was like oh this is I was listening to music and my headphones were getting wet and I was like fuck it. Fuck, I'm just gonna really enjoy this moment. Oh you were having a Natasha Bedingfield feel the rain on your skin. No one else can oh feel god. it for you. Only you can let that, it in. But it, I look like Drew Barrymore and I'm like <laughs> In the in the street. That's really beautiful. That's like a- those things are really nice, and it 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 feels like there's more of a like a handbook to give other people. Like for example, um, when I came to London last, I stayed with Zarina's mom and sister, and like you asked me, you know, what food should mum get in for you? And I, I I you asked me at a time when I just couldn't think, so I just sent you a list. I am like a listicle of like best snacks for pots people and it was like popcorn and olives and I don't know what else was on the list but y- your your mom then just went and got all the things on the list <laughs> it was like I'm so glad that I can do that now because if you'd have asked me la- last year you know what what do you want us to get in I would be like toast I don't know <laughs> just toast <laughs> like I was so depressed I don't think I'm depressed anymore that's a big thing I think like yeah life just feels different it doesn't feel great uh but it feels a lot better and yeah living in this like space of okay I'm just gonna try and do more I'm gonna like see how far I can walk now those are the like those are the that's the level that I'm at I'm not I'm not like okay now what are the what's the cure for pots I'm just thinking can I walk to Tesco and back or will I have to get a taxi on the way back? But I'll try it. Let's see. Like, those are the little things that I'm thinking about. Because, like, a lot of... Um, a lot of POTS advice actually is, like, to do... Uh, not necessarily exercise, because 
um, POTS also comes with exercise intolerance because, you know, you're overexerting yourself, your heart rate is going crazy, and then you have to, you have to then enjoy a big crash afterwards. Um, so you have to be really careful about what you do. But a lot of uh, advice is that you should try and strengthen your legs because um, that will help pump blood around your body and stop it getting pulled in your legs as much. And I I was like really excited to do that because I, I used to fucking love exercise. Um, and just as I was like getting into the swing of it, the weather got too hot. So every day I tried to do it, I was just, I couldn't do anything else that day. I would, you know, do half an hour of like little things in the garden to try and strengthen my legs. And then I, I like, I literally couldn't do anything else. And that just felt like, again, like, why is this a thing I have to go through? So I'm, I'm now waiting for the weather to get slightly cooler so I can like try those little things again and see how I feel. Um, do you know what you should be able to do? Mm. You know how like birds migrate for the winter? Yeah, you should. Be I to... cannot wait for winter. You should be I able to migrate wait. for the summer. Like you should be able to just fuck off. I should be able to migrate for the summer, but I also should get like a free gym membership so I can do that somewhere that's air conditioned. I should get compensation from Boris Johnson's shitty government for getting COVID in the first place. That has then become, you know, I won the lottery. I got like a chronic illness off the back of it. It should be like a big fat grand for every time you thought, fuck this. Like, if you add up the amount of times you thought, fuck this, fuck my life, you should get like a grand fuck for it. that. Yeah. I can't believe I have to pay for prescriptions. That's another thing. I should not be taxed for being ill. I hate this country. Wow. <laughs> It'd be a good way to end this is to mention one thing that the government has done for me. Um, you know, after the healthcare system failed for a year and then one doctor knew what the fuck was going on. Um, so in 2021, when I was not with it, I applied for PIP, which is personal independent payments, uh, which is a government support for people who are too sick to, yeah, look after themselves really. Um, I wasn't successful with the PIP application, but the thing is, no one is on the first one, and I just, like, didn't have the mental capacity to reapply. Like, I just took it as such a fuck you from everything that had gone on that year to be like, you're not sick enough, so you don't get a little tiny bit of money that wouldn't even matter much anyway, um, because of how small it is. And I got really upset about it, and then a friend messaged and said okay if you didn't get PIP you should apply for access to work instead and access to work is another scheme from the government that essentially is like okay sick and disabled people exist in this country and what we care about is the economy so we want those sick and disabled people to go the fuck to work and we're gonna make sure they get there that's how I see it um <laughs> so for example if you have a disability and you need taxis to get to work because the bus isn't viable then you can apply for a taxi budget if you need special equipment 
at your workplace, you can apply to pay for that. Um, and I read up on access to work and I just, I think it was maybe January of this year, I just wrote this really hasty application, half thinking like, this isn't going to go anywhere because nothing has gone anywhere. My diagnosis, my um, PIP application, you know, I'd lost all faith in everything. I was like, fuck it. I, 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 on the application I wrote, I need an air conditioner. I need my house to be air conditioned. <laughs> no, but you do. <laughs> because I was so worried about the upcoming summer based on what the last summer had done to me. Um, and I put that application in, forgot about it. It's just like an online form, easy, done. And then about one month ago, I got an email from someone from the DWP who said, hello, I am the caseworker on your application. Um, Can we have a phone call? And I was like, ooh, interesting. And she asked me what I needed to work. She asked me about my job and she also said, okay, within that, like, yeah, what can you not necessarily do on your own anymore? Or what would, what adaptions could you make in order to make your work easier? And... I've got an office, but I've not been there because um, you have to get the bus to get there. And it's so it's just a nightmare. And by the time I've like used my energy on the bus to get to the office, I'm fucked. And then I can't really do any work. And then the bus back and then it's just like, no, then I can't go the next day. I was like, but then I can't afford taxis because a taxi there and back is like seven quid um, each way. So I was like, I said that to her, I was like, you know, taxis to an office would be great. I said, I would like a better chair to work at because, because of the dysautonomia, um, I just feel I'm like really weirdly sensitive to pain. Um, and that means, yeah, like the example I said a little bit, a little bit ago that I sat on a really hard wooden chair and I've been in pain for two days. Like, it's just bullshit like that. So I said, you know, a nice chair. Not, like, just because I want a nice chair, just because I I want to be able to write for long periods of time and a chair might help. Uh, Because of pots and, like, blood pooling and stuff like that, she suggested a table that goes up and down, you know, like the electric tables, sit-stand tables, and I was like, I don't know if that's a really good idea or a really bad one. Because, like, me sitting and standing is, like, that's not the one. And me standing for a long time is not the one. But actually, me sitting for a long time also isn't the one. So I don't know which is the one. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I would like to try it. Um, and then the big thing that I spoke to her about on the phone is a support worker. So Zarina knows this because we work together my ability to um comprehend emails (laughs) is tenuous um here's here's a embarrassing example uh that i think this podcast goes out the day after the event happens so it's fine it will have been fine (laughs) it was fine (laughs) it was fine hopefully so i got an email from an arts organisation in Birmingham saying like, okay, cool, hi, would you like to come and do a panel? And we're doing this panel about art and cities and it's going to be good and cool, would you like to do it? And I thought, you know what, 
I've not done anything independent like that. And maybe that is a good little, little experiment to, again, test my limits. And also see if it's something that I like, can comfortably get through enough to enjoy. And it, you know, it's a job. So I would get to earn a little bit of money. And I said to them, is it possible for me to come up the day before? Like, would they pay for a hotel so that I can come up, rest? and then get a taxi to the venue the next day and hopefully that means I'll be like on my best form rather than coming up the same day and being all whacked out and in pain because of him and they were amazing they were like yep we'll do that that's you know anything else is there anything else you need oh it's so bad so I said is there any chance I can see the questions for the panel because you know, in the past, I would have been able to just, like, think on my feet and, like, say clever things. I don't know if they were clever, but say relatively clever things and, you know, be a person on a panel. And both of the people I was emailing were sort of like, no. <laughs> like, they were like, well, maybe we can give you, like, some, but, like, no. And I was a bit confused because they'd been so accommodating up until that point And I was like, what? Um, and they said, well, would you like to jump on a phone call? And I said yes. And on the phone call, uh, this absolutely lovely person was like, okay, well, I can run you through how the event is going to go if you want. Um, someone from the museum is going to introduce the event and then they'll hand over to you to chair. And then, and I was like, they'll hand over to me to chair? Uh... I just had to pretend on the phone call that I knew what the fuck was going on. But obviously, I think she knew that I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was on the panel as a guest that was going to be interviewed. And that's why I thought it was going to be easy. I very quickly grabbed the email back up and it literally says, we would like to invite you to chair a panel talk. I cannot... I cannot be trusted. I I feel like I have gone rogue. So... (laughs) This person has now realised that the chair of the event didn't realise that they were chairing. That's why they couldn't fucking give me the questions, because I'm asking the questions. Why would... Imagine... Oh, <laughs> it's so not, bad. It's not that bad. You missed It's not words. that bad. It's not that bad, but it's it's bad in the sense, like, that it's a good example of how my brain is functioning at the moment. Um, It's just that there's a stinger, like, that wasn't even the worst of it. So at the end of the phone call... I said, you know, well, thank you so much for everything. Um, I'll see you next week. Oh, no, I won't see you next week, will I? It's not next week. I'll see you, you know, soon in Birmingham. And then I put the phone down. And then I was like, wait. And I, like, got my calendar up. And it is next week. So this person not only, like, has found out that the chair of their event didn't know that they were the chair of the event, but also they think it's not next week. And... It is. But you can just pretend that that was a really funny joke. <laughs> oh, man. You can just so be like, bad. I was just messing, turn up in Birmingham next week. I do. It's, it's like something happened when I got COVID and got POTS. Like, my, like the numbers and the details and, and the logistics and the organisation and all the stuff that used to be, like, so seamless. Like, that trick has gone. And I, I genuinely, like, need someone to look over my homework. So I was explaining that to the um, access to work caseworker on the phone and 
she fully got it and she said okay well there's a form that you can fill in and if you tell us like what you would need a support worker to do and how many hours you would need them per week so I with the absolutely incredible help of Abby Palmer who spoke me through every single phase of this application and yeah I literally couldn't have done it without Abby um was able to fill in what I would need from a support worker and I mentioned like you know in the same way that it's good for us to share funding applications with each other and and all of the kind of difficult stuff in order to access like money or opportunities like that kind of file sharing is radical and cool and nice when it comes to access requirements I think a lot of imagination is needed because like Sometimes I know what the problems are, but I don't know what support would even fix them. So being able to see someone else's application and what they need is so helpful to think, okay, well, what would my equivalent of that be? Huge. So I filled in a support worker form. I also got quotes for taxis from the journey from my house to the office. And I've also had an assessment with them about like my workplace which is quite different because I'm self-employed so they were just asking me about my little desk at home um and then I got a call off them saying so yeah we've uh, we've granted your access to work application and I, it was so like <laughs> so unexpected because I just didn't think anything could go right that like I just didn't register what she'd said <laughs> and basically it means now that I can pay someone eight hours a week um via dwp so i think i have to invoice them for the money and then the person who i employ as a support worker invoices me um and then they're also providing me with all of this office equipment including the sit stand desk and the fancy chair and a leg rest and some text to speech software and speech to text um all of the stuff that i think wow this is actually gonna be like very helpful and I've got a taxi budget as well which oh man full disclosure it they asked me for taxi quotes three taxi quotes right so I called up all these different operators and most of them were like six to six to seven pounds six to seven pounds and then one of them was five pound ninety to seven pound and I wrote those three quotes (laughs) so they've given me um the five pound ninety quote as in like the lowest one and the way it works is you have to take the cost of the bus which is two pound thirty off it so whatever five pound ninety minus two pound thirty is they will give me that amount per taxi journey and I tested it this week and I got a taxi there and it was seven pounds and it's like like I can't, I don't want to sniff too much at it because it's like a little bit of money but at the same time no do you know what no like you can sniff at that because I think that's just like so oh, can you imagine if you had a friend like that so tight yeah so stingy like I can't I can't be dealing with that but like that just is and you said this when when you introduced like access to work as like a mm. an idea right like as a thing that you applied for but it is it does just sum up a lot about this government they're so much more willing to provide little bits of money to help you go to work Mm -hmm. but not to like live an independent life like 
Um, yeah. And they're so happy to like, oh yeah, we'll give you the money for the taxi, minus the money that you just spent already. Oh, just it's two pounds, two pounds. What are you fucking crazy? Imagine if you had a friend like that that was like, mm, can you just send me that the two pounds seventy for the wagon mummers last night? Exactly. Are you mad? No, I know. And the thing is, it happened with the support workers as well. So I had to give them three quotes for support workers and they've gone with the lowest one. So I like, I wish I'd have known that. Not that I could, it's too late, it's fine, whatever. Um, So I'm saying it now at the very end of a podcast so that anyone listening who is thinking the same knows that now as well. I, yeah, I, I am about to get that all kicked into gear and I'm grateful for it. It is kind of interesting. It's like you say, like none of that money necessarily goes to me. Like the money's going to a support worker, and the money is going on the equipment and the, to the taxi ranks, but none of it is to help me. You know, none of it's a consolation prize for getting disabled because of a shitty government. Uh, so yeah, I think that's sort of like all. That's the full update. I still have shit days. I still have shit hours. My brain is so out of it. My sleeping pattern is still upside down weird weird hours um cold hands yeah i'm having issues now where like when i sit down to write my fingers get icy cold and the tip of my nose so like good update good to know that shit's better good to know that i'm doing more stuff but also heart condition not so good (laughs) and that's it so Hopefully you know what POTS is now, dear listener. Um, yeah, and if you have listened to the end of this, I really appreciate it. Like, I I used to listen to little tiny bits or read little bits about, like, disability and sickness before I got sick. And, I like, it, I think it's just so important that we all know. I, I just think, yeah, raising awareness about things, even though that's, like, a cheesy thing to do. Um just could genuinely change like the fabric of like how we treat each other in society knowing that so many people have invisible illnesses knowing that if we are kind and very patient with each other then we can all live a more comfortable healthy uh pain-free life ish (laughs) and that's the end of it and if you have enjoyed this episode um yeah please share it especially if you know any covid people uh zarina and i make our living via patreon um so if you want to sign up to be a patreon member and give as little as one pound a month that would make a big difference um we we have like lots of readers and lots of listeners and lots of viewers and if every single one of those gave like one pound a month then i wouldn't fucking need to do access to work (laughs) baby But I do because not everyone does. Um, I say all that knowing that there's a cost of living crisis. Uh, please do not put yourself out. I just mm, declare those messages for the people who listen who are very rich. If there you're are very a few rich, of them. Yeah. and there are a few of them because we know, we know then who those are. people should become the patrons, um, yes. especially on behalf of the people who can't. Offsetting. So it's offsetting and subsidising. Um, so we don't have to put up a paywall. <laughs> Um, True. Which yeah. we would hate and probably not do anyway. <laughs> but the threat's still and there in case. The threat. <laughs> um, and the, we have a like Discord server for anyone who's either become a regular Patreon supporter or a regular coffee supporter or done a one-off donation on coffee or PayPal. 
Um, all the links to that will be in the show notes. And um, if you want to go yeah. to Patreon and you don't want to look at the show notes, then it's just patreon.com forward slash the white pube. Yeah, cool. Okay, this has been a hefty episode. Uh, the trans- transcription for this is on the white pube as well. If um, you want to go back and find any information, send us a message or an email if you've got any questions or if you think we left anything off. And we will see you on the next episode of the podcast. Bye. 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 Bye.